G'day fisters, and welcome to the 16th episode of The Fist, The Whole Fist and Nothing But The Fist, So Help Me Pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast, or as it's referred to by the cool people in the know, TFTWFANBTFSHMPTOFAP. I'm your host, Chris Super Mario Milne, and once again, I am joined by my usual co-host, Malcolm, Mr. Fister Donaldson. A wonderful good morning to you, Mal. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a morning morning podcast. So, um, yeah, last one was Corey Dunn. Yeah, it's back in the day. It's weird to have natural light in the room. I mean, I'm used to sort of being <laughs> curled up here at 10 o'clock at night or whatever we usually do. So, yep. yeah, yeah, good yeah. times. Uh, and the reason we have we are recording a morning podcast today is because our, our guest is from the uh, is from the Western Hemisphere. Now, that's a throwback reference to the Sandicorian episode. So I'll, I'll introduce him. Our guest today is currently one of the most talked about fistballers in the world. Not only was he part of the young and exciting Brazilian team that claimed the bronze medal at the 2019 Men's World Fistball Championships in Winterthur, he also played a significant part in helping his local club, Novo Hamburgo, win the first ever Fistball World Tour final tournament back in 2018. He then followed up that victory by being awarded the most valuable player at the subsequent 2019 World Tour finals where Novo Hamburger were runners-up to Funstad before being put forward as one of the World Games Athlete of the Year nominees for the same year, finishing 7th overall out of 25 nominees from all sports all over the world. And we would be remiss if we didn't casually mention that he has achieved all of these incredible results in the sport of fistball with just one fist at his disposal, having been born with a malformation in his left arm that should have theoretically made life very difficult for him on the fistball field. But apparently it hasn't. <laughs> and with that, we are delighted to have on the podcast today the bioconsensus nicest guy in fistball. Welcome to the podcast, Matthias Kunzler. <laughs> good morning, guys. Good morning, Australia. Already good evening in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, I'm really happy to be chatting with you guys today. I'm really glad to be here tonight. Uh, I hope we can have a good conversation today. Yeah. And I'm very excited to be part of the Feast. Well, what's the name of the podcast? It's <laughs> Feast, just the... The, the Feast, the whole just fist, fist, just and nothing but the Feast. <laughs> I don't need to say the letters, yes? yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> feast, the whole Feast, nothing but the Feast. I'm really glad to be part of this podcast today. Yeah, we're delighted to have you on. Sorry, um, can I, just a question without notice. Uh, how do you say the Feast, the whole Feast, and nothing but the Feast in, in Portuguese? Is it like El Puño <laughs> something or other? How, how do you say that? Uh, puño, <laughs> Fispo, just the Feast. Uh, puño, só o Puño, nada a não ser o Puño. Nice. It's hard to say that in Portuguese. Roll, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> fist! Let's move on to the first section of this podcast, the standard drinks section. This is our this morning drinking for us, which is we haven't had to do for a while. But uh, Malcolm, do you want to start off with what you've got today? Uh, yeah, sure. As I said, yeah, it's a, it's a little earlier in the day than I than I typically uh, start drinking, unless I'm playing fistball. Actually, usually I've probably started about this time. <laughs> uh, my my lovely partner has has taken my three children out 
for the morning so that we can do this podcast. And oh, that's a treat. Before doing so, she requested that I please not get too drunk uh, doing the podcast so that I won't be totally useless <laughs> and helping out this afternoon. So I've, in honour of that, I've I've got a, a local beer from a, a company called Salt Brewing Company, which is called uh, a Cranky Mrs. IPA, which if I do end up getting too drunk is what I will have uh, when she gets back this afternoon as a very cranky uh, cranky wife or partner. So um, I'm going to have this and sort of sit it in my eye line as a constant reminder not to get too drunk. So, um, And I'm going to use my, my trusty little uh, Belgian red jellyfist uh, bottle opener on this one. And I, I should mention that um, sort of contrary to the name... Oh, 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 he's got an overflow. <laughs> this is um just a nice little eight point two percent double IPA, so um oh, it's geez. probably not going to help me stay sober. <laughs> I didn't realise that when I bought it, <laughs> but um yeah, oh. we'll see. We'll see how we go. So guys, uh, when I knew I needed to drink something during the podcast, I thought I wanted to drink a beer, but a beer is just not Brazil mm. because in Brazil we drink. Uh, different things. Uh, of course, we drink beer, but we don't have good beers in Brazil. Mm. So I thought, well, I will drink the most Brazilian drink I have here. And it's called Cachaça. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> That's a big bottle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will certainly have problems with the alcoholic percentage of this drink, <laughs> which is about 40%. Oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but... Uh, as its alcoholic percentage is high, I will just drink a shot. And then after that, I will drink an Argentinian beer named Patagonia. Oh, yeah, nice. And uh, of course, it is something like drinking, uh, something like being in Australia and drinking a New Zealand beer. Yeah, yeah, feels a bit dirty. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but I need to recognize that our hermanos, they have better beers than us Brazilians. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, we'll drink my cachaça, just a shot, yeah. and after that, I will be drinking my cerveza, <laughs> which is beer in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. So, first, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, one of the few things that I remember from uh, 2015 and the, the Spanish that I learned uh, in Argentina was... Uh, Dos cerveza, por favor, is pretty much all you need to know in, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to get by in South America. In Portuguese, uma cerveja, por favor. Ah. Just let me open that. Um, all right, I'll move on to mine. So I think the last time we did a morning podcast with Corey, I decided not to have a beer um, very controversially and, and had a coffee instead which, you know, I was heavily mocked for. So I decided I will join in this time. I will have a, a morning beer, but it is a, um, it's called Shot in the Dark. It's actually a coffee stout. So that should be kind of interesting for, for 10.30 in the morning, but we'll give it a crack. Oh, sounds meaty. It's uh, <laughs> a really a thick pour. <laughs> yeah. All right, we should move on to the news section. I don't think there's going to be a lot. Our local league is, is done for the year. It's probably more a case of what's happening in Brazil. Um, is there much fistball happening at the moment? No, definitely not. Mm. Uh, we aren't playing fistball uh, at this moment because of the pandemic situation. Yep. So we didn't play in 2020. 
uh, because of the pandemic and Brazilian is now facing some shortages in its uh, medical system. I am. Although we are allowed to go on the streets, there's nothing to do there. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. So we aren't playing baseball this year and it's, it's been really hard for me not playing baseball. <laughs> yeah. I bet, I bet. Yeah, definitely. And how does that, um, how does that impact the Women's World Championships? I'm guessing it's going to be difficult to send a team. Yeah, yeah. I've been chatting with Christoph. Christoph mm -hmm. uh, is uh, a very good friend of mine. I have lived in Grishkirchen for four months. Yep. Then uh, he assured us, Brazilians, that the Brazilian teams would be allowed to travel. And the, the women's and the under-18 teams, they are already training. They've got some special permissions to train. Okay. And they, they, they are already training and looking forward to these international events. Yep. Well, that's good then. So I guess, yeah, in Australia, basically, we don't really have many cases at all, but a big part of that is that we've pretty much, Australia's just closed the borders, so no one's really allowed in or out of the country. Even, even Australians it's really hard for them to get back into the country and that sort of thing. So is, is international travel still sort of fairly doable for, for you or, or not so much? Yes, it's last year I tried to travel to Austria because I would play as, uh, the season with Gus Kioschen, which mm -hmm. is an Austrian team, mm -hmm. by which I've already played in 2017. Uh, and then I applied for a visa at the Austrian embassy in Brazil and they said that Brazilians aren't allowed to, to travel because of the variant ah, yeah. uh, in Brazil. Because Brazilians didn't, didn't control the pandemic situation. We have uh, a lot of numbers. Uh, I wouldn't say numbers, I wouldn't say we, we have another of death cases because they aren't mm. numbered, they are, they, they are people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, the, the situation is very hard in Brazil at this moment. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Malcolm, did you have any other news? That's all I've got. Um, yeah, and I think that was, I guess that's the main the main thing at the moment is just well, the, the two big events that are sort of still on the on the horizon are the Women's World Champs and the, and the Under-18 uh, World Champs. And yeah, just hopefully they'll be able to, to put those together. But uh, yeah, the, the clock's ticking. You know, it, I, I think it's pretty much three months nearly exactly to the, that it's, that it's going to start. And the way that the, the global covid situation is it's yeah it's going to be um it's going to be difficult um so i just yeah hoping that i think that three months is going to tick away very quickly and yeah hopefully the situation is, is at a point that they can still go ahead and get as many teams there as possible and have a really have really good events but um yeah we'll just wait and see i guess yeah Fist. Boy. Uh, I think we should we should push into the uh, interview portion of the podcast where we uh, we ask Matthias Matthias am, am I saying that right Matthias 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 yeah but it's difficult for any language in German Spanish French <laughs> nobody pronunciates that uh, ready it just sounds completely different when you put the emphasis on a different part of the word <laughs> so, Matthias I got to put the emphasis at the start <laughs> definitely <laughs> anyway you, you're putting emphasis on the wrong syllables oh, that's mm. correct <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> fist, fist. fist.
Uh, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, interview portion of the podcast with uh, Matthias. I suppose you know the way we usually start this is where we just kind of get a bit of a background. How did you get into Fistball in the first place? How were you drawn to it? Okay, uh, people say that Fistball is family mm-hmm. because the great part of the players they start to play Fistball because their parents did. Yeah, and it's not my case. Okay, <laughs> yeah, actually, my dad started to play Fistball because I was already playing. Oh, nice, nice. And actually, I started to play Fistball because I live near to the club. Actually, at the side of the club. Right. And here in Brazil, not only in Brazil, but also in Argentina and in Chile, we have a, a different culture. is very difficult to explain because an European would never understand that the kids here, they spend the day in the club. Mm-hmm. And they, they do a lot of sports there because the sports, they are all playing in the same place. Yeah. I mean, volleyball, soccer, baseball, and... I was one of these kids. <laughs> I was there. Okay. And when I was eight, I think, it, it was in 2006, I was playing with my friends there. And uh, the Facebook coach asked us, me and my neighbors, if we wanted to join them. And then I started, I started to play. And then I kept playing. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> it's been a, a lovely history. <laughs> yeah. Did you play... Uh, football or anything as well, or did you just focus on football? Uh, yes, I have played. I've played soccer, mm-hmm. but I've also played judo. I don't know if you, judo. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. And that were my sports. And then I, when I started with football, I broke my arm playing judo. Okay. And then I, I thought I will I will quit judo and soccer and I would play just football because. That's what I like, <laughs> because Facebook offers kids a different, uh, different things that judo and soccer can't offer. Mm-hmm. Here, the, we have eight or ten clubs in Brazil, and they are very far away from each other. So you need to travel to play. Right. And when I say travel, I'm talking about 12 hours in a bus. All right. And the travels, they they become parties. Because yeah. it, <laughs> imagine you are a kid with a 10, 10 years and you are with all your friends there and your parents aren't there. And so it's very cool for a kid to play baseball in Brazil. Mm. Because this kid will be always traveling and around the country and it's very very interesting for a kid to play football in Brazil so that's that's really cool <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting I um I sort of assumed given that uh Kunstler is I assume a German surname of origin that I thought pro- probably that, that you yeah, had a German connection would be somehow how you got involved in football but <laughs> obviously not yeah that was not the case that was not the case <laughs> Because um, Nova, Nova Hamburger has got a bit of a German background, right? Yes, yes, definitely. The German immigrants, they arrived in Brazil in 1824. Right. So it was long ago because Brazil has achieved its independence from Portugal in uh, 1822. So there wasn't Germany. Yeah. Germany uh, became a country in uh, 1871. So the Brazilian queen... She was Austrian, okay. and she negotiated with our king to bring a lot of German immigrants to Brazil, so that a lot of, I would say, Germanized it and not German, yeah. because they weren't German yeah. and they don't consider them German. Uh, they were brought to Brazil and were placed in, at the south to protect the, the borders with 
Argentina and Uruguay because of River Plate, which is a strategically and geopolitical place in the region. There you go. Nice, nice little uh, Brazilian uh, history lesson there. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we always appreciate that. <laughs> in short, that's why we play FISBO in the south of Brazil, because the Germans and the Germanized it were brought to Brazil. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I think there's there's been sort of a, a few German sort of immigration influxes uh, to South America. There was, as you talked about, in the uh, the 1800s, and then I think... Uh, sort of post World War One and post World War Two, there was again a lot of Germans that, that emigrated to South America. So there's, I think there's, it, it is definitely in certain parts of Brazil and and Argentina and and Chile. There's there's very heavily German influenced areas. And I mean, a classic case is where we played. I'm not sure if you went to the 2015 World Championships in Argentina, Matias, but um, I've already been there. Villa General Belgrano is a hmm. yeah, it's a it's a hmm. you know I think they have the second biggest Oktoberfest in the world after Munich. It's a really weird sort of German Alpine village in the middle of Argentina. <laughs> it's quite strange, but yes, we have a town here in Brazil uh, where football is played. It's called Pomerode, and people say that. It is the most German town of the world. <laughs> it's uh, more German than the German cities in Germany. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and now you talked about the Second World War. I need to say something that is very important. The German immigrants, they lived by themselves. There wasn't a, an integration with the Brazilian population. And so that they, they considered them not Brazilians. Okay. And at the Second World War, Brazilian uh, declared war uh, against Germany and the Brazilian government prohibited them to speak German and to play football and our city, Novo Burgo, right. the, the name of our city must be changed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and this is the moment in which football uh, lost its ground in Brazil because football was played over on in the Southern region. And when uh, our president said, okay, now you shall not play football, you shall not speak German, they weren't allowed to play football anymore. And then the number of clubs uh, diminished a lot. Yeah, okay. That's... I mean, we had something similar in Australia, and I'm not um, football related, but we had quite a few immigrants in Australia as well from Germany. And a lot of the towns, uh, the names got changed from German names to uh, um, usually Aboriginal or Indigenous names, which is fine, obviously. But there's quite a few of them. There's quite a few German towns around Australia, but uh, now there's pretty much just one actually in South Australia called uh, Handorf. Mm. And they've never heard of football, I don't think. <laughs> We've talked about it in the past. We were kind of hoping there was like secretly this little football community up in up in the hills of Adelaide that nobody knew about but wishful thinking <laughs> yeah it's funny um I was looking up that for history at one point just sort of trying to find out what other German towns had been around in Australia and ironically the baseball club here in Ge in Geelong where we play all the time is in a part of Geelong called Belmont and Belmont was originally called Germantown oh really yeah ah. they changed it in 19 <laughs> 1920 I think uh, or yeah, somewhere it was at the end of World War One, maybe during World War One, but they they changed the name, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That just coincidentally, the place that we play in Geelong is <laughs> used to be called Germantown, and there's a little, there is another little uh, place just out of uh, Geelong called Stieglitz, which I think has, has German orange, but there's only a handful of houses there. It's not really a, a town as such. It's just a few farmhouses, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, hmm. yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of, um, I mean, speaking of Europe, how did you how did you end up in in Austria playing for 
Chris Kishkin. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I've been there in, two, in 2017. I've been uh, invited by Carl Hick, which is a very good friend of mine mm -hmm. and a former ultra-national team player. And he told me that it would be a nice experience. And I don't know if you know him, uh, Don Schmidt, João Carlos Schmidt, yes. which is a former Brazilian national team player. Yep. He has already played here. And he told me that I should definitely go and play there. Mm. And I need to say that it was one of the best experience of my life, definitely. Yeah, no. Because I think that uh, a player, a football player, he will be a complete player when he has played both in, in South America, in Europe, mm -hmm. and now in Australia. <laughs> But I, I didn't know that there was an Australian football team at that time. <laughs> I knew, but I, I didn't know you guys. <laughs> uh, but that was a very nice experience. Mm. They play in a completely different uh, way. I mean, the system and how they organize the, uh, their championships, their tournaments. Because here in Brazil, we are, the clubs are far away from each other, so that we need to travel mm. and play all the games we can in just one, one weekend. Yeah. And I think that's the same that you guys face when you play against New Zealand. Yeah. You can't do a tournament which lasts two weeks. No. Yeah. And in Austria and in Germany and in Switzerland, the situation is completely different because they don't need to travel. Yeah. And then they play just one game in each weekend. Yeah. So it's it's very different, very different. It was a little hard to adapt, but it was one of the best experiences of my life, definitely. And I've I've made a lot of friends and uh, my my German improved. <laughs> and it was so nice that I want to come back. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully you get to do that. I guess, so you, you tried to do it this year, right? But you weren't able to? Or was it last year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to do this uh, last year, 2020. But because of the pandemic situation, I wasn't allowed to, to travel. The Austrian embassy didn't allow me to go. Yeah. <laughs> And an interesting situation. When I was watching the game that we will analyze today, I thought, uh, man, I know... <laughs> The, the Austrian guys better than the Brazilian guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I lived, I lived with, with two, two Austrian players. Hmm. I lived with uh, Dietmar Weiss mm -hmm. and uh, Stefan Einsiedler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're from Grisskirchen. And Dietmar Weiss, he has already uh, lived with me here in Brazil. And uh, I mean, of course, in Brazil, uh, there is my, my Brazilian coach. But my Brazilian coach never slept my, uh, here in my house. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Austrians, they are very good friends of mine. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't want to step on the game too much, but it's funny because all of these games, you know, we've seen quite a few games between Austria and Brazil, and you wouldn't think that you guys are the best of friends off the field because there's, there's always, there's always what we would call biffo there's always like you know a bit of strong words back and forth and a bit of taunting and a bit of anger <laughs> so it's great theater <laughs> yeah yeah there definitely was a big rivalry between brazil and austria at uh, these years yeah yeah because even in the 2019 world champs the semi-final between you guys and austria i think everyone pretty much agreed that that was probably the best game 
obviously other than Australia versus Belgium, that was <laughs> the best game of the World Championships, the most exciting game of the World Championships. Um, I remember uh, talking to, I think it was Tommy Helber, um, we were talking about the game afterwards, and he was saying that's the best game I've ever seen live. And it, it seems to be because you guys are always so, seems to be like you're always so evenly matched. So you have these incredibly exciting games with a lot of passion and a lot of uh, emotion in the games, which makes them exciting. And I think and at the moment, you guys both have similar-ish teams. You both seem to have quite young teams with young, exciting attackers um, that are you know, both on the rise. So hopefully that'll continue for a few more world champs. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And definitely we were completely matched, I think. Uh, the two teams could reach the, the same level, I think. And the ages were were pretty equal, I think. Uh, our striker Gabriel, mm-hmm. uh, he's he was born in '99, and Kali Mulana, the Austrian striker, was born in '97. So we're talking of very similar teams yeah. when we talk about age, but we are talking about very different teams where we talk about system of play yep. and issues related to technical skills and mm-hmm. I think that the World Games final of 2005 will show us the same thing that happened this semi-final. Mm. It's very similar. Yeah. It's funny, I so desperately want to step on it. Maybe I'll just I'll just hold on to any more comments on that game because <laughs> there's so much stuff I want to talk about. We'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could probably do a full two-hour podcast just talking about that game, but we'll have to try and <laughs> control ourselves. There's, it's, uh, yeah, there's, it's, there's so much to talk about, but um, anyway, we'll, mm. we'll get to that. Yeah. All in good time. <laughs> so let's, um, I suppose we should step back a little bit. So when you started playing, because of um, your left arm, did you feel any um, resistance early on or any difficulty or anything that you had to overcome in order to play? Or did you find that everyone was just kind of like, oh, no, that's fine. Just just play. Play with everyone else. That's a very nice question and a very important one. Hmm. When I started to play, nobody uh, said me that I couldn't play. So I, I didn't feel I couldn't play. I just felt okay. I can play, and I, I've never thought that I that I okay. I'm, I have a handicap, mm-hmm. and I can't play, or I will play worse than them because I don't have an arm. Because no nobody told me that I couldn't do that. Yeah. So that didn't come to my mind. Yeah. And that was very important because I was a kid and I was motivated to play baseball. And when I grew up, when I was about sixteen. I started to realize that oh, I, I didn't have uh, one arm, yeah. but then the national team nominations came. And so that I started to think, okay, I don't have one arm, but I'm holding fine. <laughs> uh, so yeah. let's keep going. And, and yes, I was always faced with this thought. And, I f- and I'm a very good friend of Jaime, the uh, Brazilian striker who played with me in the national team. Yep. And he taught me after the World Championship. He told me, Pato, which is my nickname. I thought uh, when you were 18, I thought that you would stop to play baseball because you would think that you weren't able to do that anymore because of your handicap. And you, you did it. Uh, you did it, and then I explained him. I did it because uh, no one said to me that I couldn't do that. And he, he was one who have always motivated me. He never told me you can't do that. Yeah. 
and uh, that was very important also from my family they always my, my my dad and my mom they always said me go there and he never said me okay you don't have an arm don't go you will suffer because they will bully you no and that was very important and when i was i think a team and the national team nominations came i, I was introduced to international football and it, that was the i think the uh, one of the best parts of my life because then <laughs> imagine you are an austrian player and a german player and you've never seen me and then you are playing and you you see uh, a brazilian player without an arm and people started to look at me, does he play? <laughs> and they didn't understand. When I was 15 and I traveled to the first under 18 World Championship, we were at the airport and a woman, she came to me and she asked me, oh, uh, what sport do you play? And then I said, baseball. And she, she asked, how, do, how does it work? Then I explained and then she, she looked at me and asked, okay, guy, but... Uh, what's the other's handicap? Oh, right, it's a handicap team. She thought that it was part Paralympics. And then I started to laugh. Because, uh, and that's uh, <laughs> a very uh, frequent question. People, uh, they, they, used to, they used to ask me that, okay, but is it a Paralympic sport? <laughs> and I say, no, it <laughs> actually isn't. But uh, I think baseball uh, has contributed to my life and to my well-being and how I deal with my handicap, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, I must admit, I think uh, the first time that I, I saw you, Matthias, was um, was at the Yona Masters Tournament in 2019, just before the World Championships. And um, and I just saw you were sort of with um, the Brazilian team and I was like, oh, that, that guy's only got one, one fist. I'm like, it's cool that he travels with the team. Like, maybe he's a, a brother of one of the players or something, you know, like... And then I saw he was like had a uniform on. I was like, oh, that's cool. They've even, you know, they've even got him his own. Envelope. And then all of a sudden, I saw you on the field playing. I was like, holy shit, that guy's really damn good. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember when Laurie came back from. I think it was Yona in two thousand and yeah, yeah, Laurie's young. Yeah, yeah. and Laurie was like, <laughs> yeah, and there's this guy there from Brazil, and he's he's only got one fist, but he's incredible. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> cool, yeah. So that was the first I'd heard of you, and uh, I think I saw you playing for Gris Kirschen. On one of the live streams or something, I was like, "Oh yeah, he's, he's really good." And I'm wondering if it's it's probably quite different, right? Being born with that as opposed to maybe having that happen to you in, later in life. Because if you're born with it, you've you've adapted your entire life around the you know around the situation. So it, for you, it's not like, "Oh, how am I going to do this with just the one arm?" It's just kind of like, "Oh no, this is natural. I've worked out how to do it quite easily." Because that's how I've had to do everything my entire life. Whereas I imagine if you get that later in life, your your instincts always to to use, you know, maybe the left fist or something, and then oh, okay, now, now I have to adapt. I think that would be really difficult. But you know, you make it um, seem very easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that it was an advantage that uh, I was uh, born without an arm mm. when comparing to something that could have happened to me. So uh, I didn't really need to adapt. Mm. I was born this way mm. and I just played. Mm. When, people, when people ask, ah, how did you adapt to Facebook? I answer, I didn't adapt, uh, I just played. Yep. Because I've never knew a different situation. Yep. Uh, quite normal for me to play without uh, an arm because I've, I've always done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you actually got a mention in a podcast. What what episode was that? No, it would have been episode. Mm, it's about episode number four or five, maybe when Lee. Yeah, was on? when we had Lee Maroney on, because we also had uh, Simon Harrison, who is a mate of Mao's, um, and he's a he's a race caller for for horse racing, and he, uh, he he's he's one of your biggest fans because he uh, I don't uh, you're probably better to tell the story Mao, but uh, what happened to it happened to him? When was uh, he was in an accident uh, as a child. He quite tragic actually he got pushed on train tracks when he was a child and a train ran across and um took off his uh his left arm and his right hand and so they actually used his left hand to sort of build a right hand so he has uh he ju- he just has uh, two fingers and a thumb on, on his right hand uh, and he has no no left arm but yeah he's managed to yeah, carve out a very successful career uh, for himself and um, he was doing just before I, I contacted him to come on the podcast because he's into yeah he's works in horse racing and, and race calling and uh, Lee who came on the podcast as he loves horse racing so we sort of got them together but uh, he was doing some some videos and work about living with disability and that was sort of when I thought you know actually he'd probably be interested in in seeing what you've done in fistball, and so I, I sent him some videos of, of you playing, and he was he was yeah, really impressed that you've managed to to rise, you know, to playing at the the top level for one of the the elite teams, um, despite being born with disabilities, um, is really impressive. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and uh, something that motivated me was the the fact that we have other sports in which people with disabilities compete. We have Bethany Hamilton in surf. Yeah, and she's one of the best surfers I've ever seen. I'm also a surfer. And, you know, one of my dreams is to to know uh, she personally because she's definitely one of my inspirations because uh, she she does it perfectly. And it really really motivates me. That's cool. (laughs) Well, Simon will be happy to get a shout out. In this uh, this episode, yeah, I, I, yeah, you will. I, I did I did message him during the week, and because um, he did say, and in that podcast, he's like, oh, when you know, when are you gonna get get Kutzler on the on the podcast? I want to hear from him. And I said, and we said, oh, I'm not sure if he if he's if he speaks English very well or not. We'll have to find out. And then uh, it was actually when we did the the podcast with Corey Corey Dan, you know, we sort of mentioned, oh, do you know? Because he sort of obviously has some connections with the South Americans, and we said, "Oh, do you know any South American guys that that speak good English that um, might be interested?" And, and he said, "Oh, Matthias Kunzler actually speaks really good English, so you should get him." And we're like, "Ah, that'd be amazing!" So <laughs> it's all work, all worked out nicely. It's all come together. <laughs> yeah, but guys, I'm very glad that you asked about my arm because I think that has been a taboo hmm. for a lot of years. People don't ask because they are afraid to ask, and then. I assume the position that people shall ask if they are curious. They they need to ask uh, how I play and why I play. Mm. And if if they are curious, there is no problem. And I think this is the way we, we shall face differences. Mm. I'm really happy to be talking about it here. Because that's an opportunity I have to talk about me and my handicap. And I think uh, a lot of people with, uh, which have handicaps too will feel comfortable to talk about it too. So it's it's a cause that I that I, I want to represent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I'm assuming with a lot of people, yeah, you're right. There's that fear of offending, perhaps, you know, pointing out something that you've, you know, you've lived with your whole life. When in reality, if you don't ask the question, you kind of remain a bit ignorant about 
what it's like and how you got to where you are, why you do what you do, um, and how you actually feel about it, which is actually really important to know those things for sure. Of course, of course. I totally agree. Mm. Um, jumping back into what you've done so far, what have you been your highlights so far in your, in your career? Uh, I think I will separate my titles of my, my spending time highlights. I don't know if you understand me because I've, I have highlights, good friends and having good experiences and I have Tito highlights. Mm. And so I will separate these two things. Yeah, sure. My highlights playing Facebook uh, and I mean Tito's, uh, they started in 2012. I was nominated to the under 18 Brazilian national team. Then I traveled to Colombia. That was my first international football event. And we were world champions. Nice. Uh, that was when I was introduced to international football, mm -hmm. and we we won, and it was amazing. Uh, it was one of the best organized events I have always played. And after that, uh, things just got better, because then in 2013 I was nominated to travel with the senior team of Novo Hamburgo to Africa, to Namibia to play the World Cup. Oh, nice. And I was I, I was 16 years old, and I was able to play with Fausto, yeah. with Down, yep. and with a lot of uh, Brazilian national players who played with Novo Hamburgo. Yep. And the, today they are my best friends. But uh, I, I had this opportunity, you know, and then. Uh, I traveled with them to Namibia and we won the World Cup against Funstadt in 2013. After that, that is important to say, all these guys, Fausto, Ju, Dão, Chico, Matheus Lamel, mm -hmm. they, they thought, okay, now it's time for the young guys. We are, we are quitting, we are playing for other teams and you guys need to grow up and, and represent Novembro. And we had this this time between 2014 and 2017 in which we didn't win anything and then in 2018 we finally grew up mm -hmm. and won the the world tour final yeah and that was amazing because we <laughs> we weren't people didn't wait that we, we would win that yeah and uh, patrick was already back yep and we, we played against Funstad in the quarterfinals, and it wasn't it wasn't a uh, double elimination system. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we had won, we would be at the semifinal. Uh, had we we lost, we would be at a new quarterfinal. Yeah. And we have beaten uh, Funstad with three oh. Yeah. And people were amazing because we we were actually. Very young, very young. Our our two strikers were 18 and 16. Yeah. And then we we won against Fuenstad, and we won the semi-final against uh, Diet Portal, Lucas Lessen, Malik Müller. We played the final against Vigo Team, Willy Hepsemann, and we won. Yeah. And that was the, I think, the peak of my career, because we, we looked to each other and, man, what have we done? We... We have won that, and yeah. <laughs> we didn't expect to win that. Yeah. We knew that it was possible, but we didn't expect. And I, I think that helped us because we, we, we played without any pressure. And after that, I pursued my main objective, which was being nominated to the senior national team. Mm -hmm. And I've done that. And 
the first uh, training sessions. Uh, I, I haven't been nominated for the first training sessions. And then the coach called me for the, I think the fourth one because he thought it would be a good idea. And then a uh, good idea. And then uh, I've done well yeah. at Hold Fine. And then I, I've been nominated and played uh, uh, the World Championship in yeah. Switzerland. And it was a dream. I, you guys know it. You've uh, you have also played that. Yeah. And it was a dream. It was a dream. Uh, I think I, I hope we can live that again in Mannheim. Yep. And after that, I thought I was done. But <laughs> then we we played the World Tour Finals in in Austria, mm -hmm. and then uh, uh, I was awarded the MVP. And we were the runner-ups against Frankfurt. Yep. Frankfurt got revenge it, <laughs> but that's part yeah. of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was a very emotional situation. Yes. I started to cry, and uh, yeah, because I, I couldn't, I couldn't realize. Uh, yeah, it's overwhelming. Uh, yeah. I, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can't explain how I how I felt. But it has been a a very very interesting situation, a very emotional one. Yeah. And apart from that, I uh, would say that a personal highlight and not related with titles would be the my stay in Austria mm -hmm. in 2017 in Grüßkirchen. I've met a lot of friends. Dietmar Weiss, Karl Hick, Stefan Einsiedler, mm -hmm. Christopher Oberlener. I, uh, I shouldn't uh, list them because they are a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's risky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as soon as, as soon as you start listing, you know you're going to miss someone and then you're going to think, oh, I forgot to say it. <laughs> <laughs> <But>, um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when I was there, we played a tournament that each football player in the world should play. And I think you have, you have already heard uh, of that. It's called the German Turnfest. What's that one? The, G the, yeah. the German what? <laughs> Tornfest. <laughs> the German Tornfest. Oh, okay. Guys, that's the best tournament I've ever played in my life. Okay. And that that's amazing, man. It's uh, where is it? Is that the um? Is that the one that's uh, just after Yona usually? Um, no, I think Nick Trinemeyer told in his podcast he he told about the uh, the Deutsch Turnfest, the German Turnfest. It's actually an event in which all the the German sports which are playing in clubs take part. And there, uh, in in this event, uh, the gymnastics national championship is played. Various football, beach volleyball, and other sports are also played. Okay. And it takes place in each four years. Yep. And the Turnfest I played, I had luck. The Turnfest I played was in Berlin, in Maifeld. I don't know if you know what Maifeld is. Maifeld is the field uh, which, which is right behind the Olympic Stadium in Berlin. Oh, okay. Not. Yeah, that's a very historical place. Mm. And mm. in this, I will explain how Turnfest works. And because I think I, I need to, how the football players need to play this even. Yeah, this, this tournament. <laughs> it, it sounds like it. it you're, you're pretty excited <laughs> by this. <laughs> uh, imagine I was in Grüßkirchen, Austria, and then we traveled to Berlin. And it works this way. You play on Sunday, you don't play on Monday. You play on Tuesday, you don't play on Wednesday. You play on uh, Thursday, you don't play on Friday. You play the final on Saturday. And <laughs> there are uh, parties overall. Yes, because you, you feel the gaps. Yes, yes. <laughs> and all the German clubs 
and a lot of Austrian and Italian and mm. Swiss clubs, they, they play this tournament. And mm -hmm. all the football clubs, they are located in the same, all the people, they sleep in the same school. Okay. They sleep, we always sleep in the school, mm -hmm. but all, all the football players be, uh, sleep in the same place. Okay. And you interact with everybody, yeah. everybody that I could. And uh, every night we, we, we have a lot of parties and yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, that, that's something you should experience. That, then uh, the next one, would be in Leipzig, but it was cancelled due to the due to the pandemic. But I cho I've chosen 2021 to play in Grishkirchen because the uh, the German Turn Fest would uh, would took place <laughs> this year. It, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a tournament with built-in hungover recovery days. That sounds like my kind of tournament. <laughs> 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 Definitely. <laughs> yeah, mark that down. <laughs> I remember that was one of the. Um, the great tragedies of the 2015 uh, World Championships that there was supposed to be, I think, the middle, the Wednesday in the middle of the tournament was there was supposed to be no games played that day. It was like a rest day, mm. and so we were like, oh yeah, that's yeah, we'll we'll definitely you know the Tuesday night that'll be a big party night. But then our game from Tuesday afternoon got washed out, and so we had to we had to front up to play on the on the Wednesday, and it's like ah, oh, that totally ruined our uh, <laughs> our big 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 Wednesday day. But and definitely, um, it definitely affected our performance against Namibia, where we get we got absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, well, I think sober. I think we would have beaten them otherwise. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely would have had their measure otherwise. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, I I heard about that the the rain and yeah. That. I'm sure that was a tragedy. <laughs> it's it's actually um it didn't really happen in Winterthur, but it's it's almost been a theme mm. of major fistball events it's in the time that we've been involved anyway. The last six or five or six years, is nearly every major tournament there's been some sort of freak hailstorm, mm. thunderstorm, and it's just washed out an entire day. Like it happened in 2015. Mm. Happened at the Women's World Championships in 2016, and it's like it'll just it'll destroy half the all the marquees. Yeah. The fields will be destroyed, and yeah. it's just like what? Why does this happen every time? But it's um, it certainly adds an adds an element to it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do we? Do you have any questions, Mel? I don't have any listener questions. I have a listener question. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, I do. Well, it's it's from a. And well, a member of the possums, actually, and oh. it's like well, usually I just make these questions up. She doesn't know about <laughs> it. She'll she'll find out when she listens to the podcast. Uh, from a from a, a Jay Lion or a Jay Leon, it might be is um. And you you sort of touched on this earlier, but I think we need to expand on it. Is um, do you have a nickname, and uh, can you explain where this nickname comes from? <laughs> yeah, sure. I have a nickname, definitely. Uh, I actually don't have a name. I have just a nickname because no one, <laughs> no one calls me Saint Matthews. Uh, people say Pato. Mm. And why that? Because of my arm. Because my arm looked like a duck. Pato <laughs> is duck in English. <laughs> and <laughs> I did not make that connection. <laughs> That's my nickname. If you watch from from the side. It <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I think people don't know my name anymore. They just can't part to me. That's actually a question I was I was going to ask earlier and I forgot. But because um, I know that pretty much every Brazilian player, I don't know about non-players, but like everyone seems to have a nickname. How do you guys get your nicknames? 
are they just given to you by mates or like who decides these things? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, it's given by by our mates. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember exactly when when people start to to call me Pato. It was in a, a tournament in Argentina. I don't know why they it looked like a duck. <laughs> It, lo it looked like a duck and then they just started and I, yeah, it really looks like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> you were like on board, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think when we do our, our screenshot for this podcast, uh, Millie, we might have to get you to, 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 to do the duck so we can, <laughs> yeah. so our audience can see what we're talking about. We'll do it at the end before we, um, before we finish. We'll, 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 get, we'll get a photo. It's funny, actually, because when you, you said that the, the pato, that it means duck, all it made me think about is... Um, I've got three young children, and one of the shows that they watch, there's a duck called Pato, and it never, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, I just, oh, it's just a duck called Pato. And now you're like, oh, it means duck in Portuguese. And I'm like, oh, it all makes sense. <laughs> it's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should move on to the game review, but I'm just going to run to the bathroom, so. Okay. It seems like a good cut. Yeah. Okay. I'll have a, have a quick five-minute five minute break. Okay, okay. Awesome. <laughs> so did you have any other questions, Mel? Uh, yeah, well, I do. It's actually a little bit of a two-part question. It's sort of uh, involving some other countries. First part uh, is you mentioned uh, briefly before about you played in Colombia. And Colombia was that they played in the 2015 World Championships. We played against them. Mm. But you sort of haven't seen anything much of them. Do you know... Is there any fistball still happening in Colombia at this stage? We obviously don't have much connection with the South Americans, so just an update if they're still playing. And then the second part is sort of about another newish country, and I think I heard from Roger Willen that, that you maybe had some involvement, is that the Portuguese have started uh, playing fistball, and I think he mentioned that you had some connections in getting that started, so can you just maybe talk us through through that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, about fistball in Colombia, uh, I have a lot of friends there, and it's... Uh, it's still happening. Uh, they are still playing okay. against each other. They are playing in Colombia, yep. but they haven't traveled anymore. But I think that uh, they, will, they will do that soon. So I, I think that Facebook persists there. It's still happening there. And that's the, that's, that's the best part of that because they will soon start to play again in international level and international events. Yep. Uh, about Portugal. In, I think in 2020, Roger asked me if I could help with the communication with the Portuguese. And then I said, of course, it, it won't be uh, a big deal because uh, I'm Brazilian and I can speak Portuguese. And although they have a very, very different accent from us. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then um, I, I think I had a, a, a good idea. And the guy which wrote the thing in, in Portugal, he is very intelligent because he, he thought the same way and he, he thought that it would be a good idea to search for Portuguese baseball players, which actually aren't Portuguese born, but acquired the Portuguese citizenship. Okay. And his idea is to mix these Portuguese people, which are Portuguese-born, with the Portuguese people uh, who acquired the citizenship. Citizenship. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, and that's a very good idea because we have a lot of 
Portuguese is in Brazil. I mean, we were colonized by Portugal. And I started to ask in WhatsApp to my friends, hey, do you know any football player which owns the Portuguese citizenship? And four people show up. Okay. And <laughs> four people is almost five. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we discovered a Portuguese colony in Germany. Right. And it's, uh, I think you have, uh, maybe you have already been there. It's called Unterhausstedt. Oh, right. Really? Have already oh, heard of Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we <laughs> yeah. started there. Yeah, there. They're our guys. They're our, <laughs> yeah. our boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And in Unterhausstedt, we have a lot of Portuguese people. Okay. Wow. Uh, I knew that. And then I, I said to Andrea, hey, Andrea, I think that we, we will find a lot of Portuguese players in Unterhausstedt. And then we fought a lot of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then we have an interest uh, situation which I think that should be adopted by the new countries, which is, I, I mean, the countries that can adopt this, this situation, which is the case of from Portugal, which was an empire, uh, empire mm. and colonized a lot of uh, countries. We should find people which have uh, different citizenships uh-huh. and found new confederations. And f- uh, for example, we have a lot of Turkish people in Germany. They own Turkish citizenship and they could form a Turkish federation and enter into contact with the Turkish people in t- Turkey. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, these people in, in Germany, they, they know how to play football because they have already played football. Uh-huh. And they could teach people in Turkey how to play football, yep. and it would become easier. I think it will. It would be a, a nice idea. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Yeah, if you've got people of Turkish origins to go back rather than German people going to Turkey and be like, play this, play our sport. You know, whereas, and I, I mean, we have the the situation in New Zealand is somewhat similar to that. So we've got a you know in our little region, you know, based in in New Zealand, there's that we have a, a Samoan team and a team from Fiji and a team from the Cook Islands. Who most of them are based in New Zealand, but they are still citizens of uh, Samoan citizens or, or or Cook Islands. So, and yeah, I guess that's it. It's like that's how it starts with these guys in New Zealand, and then you know the plan is then to try and spread it back to the mainland of, of their countries of origin. But yeah, and I mean, we could, and we could do the same in Australia. Like I, th- I think our president Rolf has talked about it. He's uh, because we're a Commonwealth country, like a lot of Australians have dual citizenship with um, the United Kingdom. And so, yeah, we could probably have connections to start a, a British team out of Australia or and those sort of things. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird way of, of getting there, but mm. you know, at the end of the day, if it, if it helps to, to spread and grow the game, it's it's definitely worth looking into. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, I I also think that we need to have these people. They they need to have contact with their land. Yeah. And but I think that that's the case. Yes, these. Uh, I mean, the Samoan guys, the, uh, the the guys from Cook Island, they have contact mm. with their their homeland. Mm. Uh, that's a way forward. Yes, that's a way that that's a way uh, whereby we can create new confederations. Yes, that I think I, I know that's not the uh, yeah. the only way, mm. but it's that's a way. It's definitely a good starting point. I'm guessing it'll add complexity when you want to, you know, practice as a team. For example, say if you've got people based in Brazil and some people based in Germany trying to practice as a Portugal team, obviously that's going to cause some 
issues, but it's a good way to get started and it's a good way to, you know, bring a bit of a spotlight to the country and hopefully it can get picked up by local Portuguese players that can then, you know, be taught how to play. So yeah, definitely. I do remember the EFA writing a Facebook post about it some time back saying, if anyone knows anyone with citizenship from another country, yeah, get in contact with us and we'll see if we can set up a federation. So I think the dream is to have like, I don't know, what, 20 teams in the European football championships or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a good starting point. Well, sure. if, you, if you've got 20 European teams all made up of Germans, it's it's really easy to, to, <laughs> to build, to, to build a, big, a big European championships. But um, yeah, I guess probably not the dream long term. But yeah, I said, if, if it's a way of kind of getting that, it's just getting that foot in the door. And as I think we've talked about in a lot of the podcasts, when you're competing with, with other sports and that sort of thing, like it it's, can be so hard just to get started and, and kind of sow the seeds to, to start a federation. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's maybe thinking outside the box a little bit, but um, yeah, that's cool. That, that, I, that's not where I thought that question was really going to go, but it, it was a interesting um, twist dovetail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And going back to the start of what you're saying, Matthias, it's good that Colombia are still playing because hmm. they were really good in the 2015 World Champs. Like they, I think they beat the Czech Republic for their final game, and they they were young and they were athletic. But I knew that they had financial difficulties as far as I mean, even just getting to Argentina from Colombia, you know, they were. It was clear that it was difficult for them. So obviously, European tournaments is, was out of the question at the time. But it's good to know that they're still playing, and hopefully, they can get some. Uh, financial support or something mm. to be able to travel a bit more because they were definitely a really good team to have on the scene. Yeah, that's the reality. Uh, I think not only in South America, but in anywhere in the world. I mean, we aren't professionals. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't get paid. We don't get our travels paid. And in some countries where the economic situation isn't that good, such as Brazil, Argentina, <laughs> uh, Colombia, yeah. it gets... Uh, more difficult to, to travel around the world to play yep. and about their skills the Colombians were amazing I mean they have played in the under 18 world championship in Colombia and they when we were there we asked are you playing just for uh, six months because <laughs> you guys can play at a completely high level yeah and then one year afterwards I played an under 18 South American championships in Buenos Aires and they ranked fourth yeah right yeah they won against Brazilian teams Argentinian team Chilean teams they ranked fourth and I mean they they were playing just for one year and a half yeah and that was amazing and I'm glad they, they still play there because yeah. they can eventually play internationally again. Yeah, yeah. We were, I know we were definitely surprised at how good they were in Argentina when we played against them because we were like, oh, these guys have just started. We should beat them. And then they were at a much higher level than we were expecting. Yeah, yeah and it's one of those things too, maybe traveling to Germany to play in a world championships is a huge financial burden and it's and it's very difficult. And, you know, it might be that, yeah, it takes a long time before Colombia's in a position where they're where they're able to do something like that. But I guess at least if we can try and hopefully it, they can get to a point where at least they're playing in those the Pan American Championships that you have, um, mm. you know, usually in South America. Yeah, at least sort of get to that point where they're in the Continental Championships regularly and have their own thing. And then hopefully over time it, it grows. And even if they just even if they only compete at the World Championships when it's held in South America, that's better than not playing at all you know so um yeah of yeah. course of course how about uh uruguay they they used to play uh some of the world champs what happened to those guys they just disappeared 
Uh, I think they played to 1990 mm. and then it fell apart. They yeah. just didn't play anymore. And also in Paraguay, the same thing. All right. Okay. Yeah. And now IFA is trying to rebuild these the, the football in these countries and it's tough it's tough but i think that if we have an uruguayan team it would be very close to us and we could help mm, yep. so i think that uh, it's very very possible to rebuild an uruguayan team as i think it's i think probably for some of those countries they unfortunately probably found the game too soon it's really only the last seven or eight years like really since sort of we we got involved that fistball sort of has this social media and everything, this this global presence is sort of becoming known again. I think maybe some of those guys, if they'd started the sport now, there's so much more happening and so much more sort of motivation to keep it going. Whereas probably back then they just, it was still an unknown sport. Like mm. it's still relatively unknown, but it's becoming a lot more known. So yeah, hopefully if we can, if we can sow those seeds again and get them started, there's a better chance that it'll continue on now. Yeah, I agree. That yeah. was definitely bad timing. Yeah, they started when, <laughs> <laughs> when, People weren't playing a lot, and now the International Football Association is. I think they they will succeed in developing football in Uruguay and in Paraguay again. That'd be awesome. I think I was even looking back at the teams that registered. I think it was even as far back as the early two thousands that India were registering for world championships and not turning up. Millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> They're listed as a no-show after I think 2005, uh, 2003 or something. Yeah. It's like, oh well. They're definitely registered. They're, they're consistent. They're very good at registering. If nothing else. <laughs> shout out to our Indian friends. <laughs> yeah, shout out. Yeah. Shout out to our Indian friends. Fist. Boy. All right, let's um. That just derailed us for half an hour or so. That's. Uh, <laughs> I will. Now just has one question to ask. Well, we're on pretty we're on pretty good time going into the game review, and now we've totally blown it out. But anyway, that's okay. All right, so let's uh, we're going to do a game review today. We we mentioned actually in our last podcast uh, it's one of the greatest fistball games ever played. Uh, it seems to be recognised across the globe as this. It's the 2005 World Games final between Brazil and Austria. The World Games were played in I think it's Duisburg in Germany, and it was. It was a cracking game. It was five sets. Austria ended up winning three to two. There's a lot of a lot of passion, a lot of a uh, bit of aggro. There's as always a controversial, well, more than one controversial call made during the game, and uh, <laughs> it seems to be pretty standard whenever Brazil is involved in a game. There's there's some kind of controversial call that everyone's up in arms about, but uh, it is an incredible game to watch. And one of the things I was thinking when I was watching it is that the IFA really, if they haven't already tried, should try to get the original recording of this game and post it in the highest definition they've got because really if you're going to show someone a high quality fistball game this should probably this and the world games final between germany and switzerland would probably be the two games that you would show them and say sit down and and enjoy uh, and obviously australia versus new zealand in the asia pacific <laughs> fistball championships they're the three the big three that's what they call them and australia belgium <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot of Australia games, obviously, but uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely the big ones. What was it like to, to watch that game again? Yeah, I think it was one of the best football games I've ever watched, too. I wasn't here, but I watched it in YouTube. And I think we are talking about two completely different ways of playing football mm. when we talk about Austria and about Brazil, and especially in this championship. 
Austria is playing is playing with two strikers, with two spikers, and Brazil is playing with just one striker and one setter. Yeah. I won't say that anyone is right or wrong. These are just two different ways of playing baseball, and I think they proved that these are two two ways of playing baseball at the highest level <laughs> we can see because uh, that was an amazing game. Yeah. And you're saying before the parallels between the 2019 team that that match as well, mm. and it really is. It's similar in yeah, the two attackers for Austria, and then you. I was more familiar with you playing as a defensive player, and then to so to see you at the front, kind of doing a lot more of the setting, but still able to attack, is very similar to this this um this Brazilian team. Yeah, and even and even to go as far as like um the serving styles are exactly the same, right? Like Gabby Heck does that little jump serve, and then. Carl does the running jump serves the same as same as um as um Martin Weiss. Martin Weiss. Yeah, it's interesting how how similar it is. Yes, both games are pretty similar, and I think when we are talking about the, this game 2005, we are talking about two gold generations. Yes, mm-hmm. because Brazil were Brazil won the World Championships in '99, which was a uh, one of the greatest games of baseball history against Germany. And then Brazil won in 2003, mm-hmm. but Austria won the World Games in 2001. So we are talking about two gold generations at the highest level. It's baseball at its purely highest level. Yeah. Uh, and they, they know each other so good. Because we, we need to keep in mind that when the game starts, Brazil know that Martin, Austrian, the Austrian striker, mm-hmm. he will serve exactly at the gap between the middle player and the left uh, defensive player. Yeah. And they know it. And Martino, Martino's that Georgi is the only striker, the unique striker from Brazil. Mm-hmm. And Austria know that, that Georgi don't have that power when striking. He's a more skillful player, more technical player. And he, as, as you guys see, he will start the game serving on the front positions on the Austrian spikers. Mm-hmm. And this game is so great, so great, <laughs> that it offers a chance to compare baseball in dry conditions and in wet conditions. We need mm. to keep an eye on that. Yeah, yeah, because it starts raining about the third set, right? Is that right? It started to rain at the second set. Second set. Yeah. At the at the at the end of the first set, it was already raining. Mm. But I, I watched it live from Georgi, mm. and he talked about this game. It was alive just about this game, but unfortunately in Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he he told us that it was the second uh, most amazing game that he played. He played the game against Germany in 1999 as the first game. Uh, but he he said that. The, the weather played a, a great role on this game. Yeah. I mean, just kind of making general comments on the match before we sort of deep dive into the specifics of it, there's there's a few things worth pointing out. I mean, one, it's I really do recommend that every fistball fan out there, if you haven't watched this game before, you should watch it. Having said that, it's it's not a it's not light watching. Like it it's broken up into four parts. On like f- there's three 45 minute videos and a 35 minute video. Like the the whole thing, start to finish, is about three hours or just under three hours. I think the match itself is probably two and a half hours. It's 
it's back in the days of 20 point sets where a set was played first to 20 which nowadays i think in mm. so this is 2005 i think it was the uh, i'd looked this up last night and i forgot the numbers but i think it was the 2008 european championships where they changed to 11 point sets so yeah and we we mentioned we were sort of talking about this last night million we were watching it, like i think i'm more a fan of 11 point sets than 20 like i think i'd prefer a a seven setter over 11. Like, I think that's a good change. That's my personal view. I sort of find the sets sometimes tend to drag on a bit. Maybe not so much the, the last two when they're super close, but the, the first couple of sets where they're a little bit more one-sided, it's not as compelling, I think, as an 11-point set, but that's just my opinion. And just one other random tidbit I had that I thought was strange was that there was only eight a side, yeah, which I, I don't know if that was a World a world Games rule, because I had a look back at the 2003 World Championships, and that was 10 a side, so I thought, oh, it's not something that I don't think was an IFA change, but for whatever reason, there was only eight players per team for the World Games. I don't know what that was about. That wasn't World Games uh, change. Okay. Mm. That was, uh, they define it, okay, now you can bring eight players and now you can bring nine and now you can bring 10. Uh, in 2009, teams could just bring eight players. In 2013, they could bring nine players and in 2017, 10 players. All right, okay. pretty recent. Yes, it was up to the World yeah. Games. I mean, even as recently as our first World Championships, I think you could only nominate eight players to actually play in a game. We had 10 players, but you had to say that two were going to sit out and you had to nominate who was going to sit out. So I guess that's kind of a follow-on from that. It's nice just to have 10 available. I think that just makes sense for everyone. Yeah. Actually, going back to what you were saying, Mao, about the 11-pointers, I just, out of pure curiosity, I scored the game as if it was going to 11 points, and the result was Austria wins 3-2. to two. So it was, and they went, they won the same sets that they won in the 20 point set. So clearly having those additional eight, nine points per set didn't really have an impact on the game. Probably made it more thrilling towards the end in particular in the last set. But it's interesting to see that that didn't change the outcome of the game, theoretically only playing to 11. So I guess the only difference is that if it was first to 11, it would have been a seven set game, I guess, instead of a five set game. So potentially, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And we do, yeah. And we do know that Switzerland, uh, if it was a five-set game in the World Games, they would have won that World Games against Germany. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, classic. <laughs> they probably prefer the five-setters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a nice way of analyzing that, comparing it with 11-point sets. Mm. Uh, this game made me think that Fistball is not a game of constant players, but of players which can reach the highest peaks. But uh, as we can see, Brazil loses the first set uh, with 22 11. Mm -hmm. And after that, Brazil will reach high peaks of uh, when, when talking about playing level. Yep. But they, they couldn't manage to keep that. And Austria has, has reached the uh, highest peaks at the fourth and at the fifth set. Mm. Yep. Yeah, Aust Austria dominates the first set and then Brazil sort of dominates the second and third set and the fourth and fifth are, are super close and Austria sort of just comes out on top in both of them. But yeah, it was sort of a, a definitely a, a game of momentum swings throughout the match. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult when you're talking about football. I think that we can assume that it's very difficult to keep a constant level even when you're talking about good players and the best players of the world. It's very difficult to keep a constant level at the highest possible level and the this match shows us that because if you had said to me 
Matheus, analyze just the first set. I would say Brazil is, isn't isn't playing. <laughs> they are just being destroyed by the Austrians. And then uh, when it starts to rain, they they reborn. They yeah. And then uh, they start to play really well. And Austria start to play. I won't say bad, but they couldn't adapt as fast as the Brazilians to the wet conditions. Mm -hmm. And when it uh, stopped to rain again, Austria came again to the came and and this time Austria reborn and and won the game. It was a very changing game and with very different conditions. Yeah. Uh, one thing I took away from the second set when Brazil gets back into it, it was something that Nick was actually talking about in his podcast that I really noticed in this game, which was early on, particularly in the first set, drop shots just weren't working. They weren't really doing a lot, and when they were, they were kind of getting pretty easily picked up by the, the front attackers. But Georgie, is it, we should probably get this out of the way now. Is it Shu? Is it Georgie Shu? Or is it, how do you say it? Georgie Shuk. 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 Because we love calling him Shuey. It's, uh, we just put a little Australian, Australian twist on his nickname because it's, you know, it's also the name of drinking a beer out of, a, out of an empty shoe. So <laughs> he's a bit of a cult favourite. I think that's close <laughs> enough that we can just keep calling him Shuey. I think we're good enough. I think so. <laughs> we do that too with the German names. Yes, yeah, so we call Schneverdingen, yeah. uh, which is an, an Austrian uh, German club. We call that Schnell Virgin. That is okay. in Portuguese... We're in flip flop. Oh, we're in flip flop. <laughs> 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 but because it's very difficult to say Schneverdinger in, in Portuguese. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, so Shui, he, um, at the start of the second set, he really starts peppering the the setter right at the back. Like, he's hitting him hard. And he, it felt like he was pushing the setter further and further back to the back line. And then he starts throwing in some drop shots. And it just seemed like in that second and third set, maybe it's because Austria was struggling to adapt to the rain, but he was, it felt like he was pushing out all the players out to the, to the boundary line because they weren't totally sure what he was going to do. Because he was hitting side, but he was hitting right, you know, right at the setter in the perfect spot. And so that just kept getting drop shot after drop shot after that when they just kind of didn't really know how to adapt. Which I just thought was interesting just because Nick was talking about it with um, uh, the Argentinian attacker whose name I've just temporarily forgotten. Buba, Martin Vasquez. Yes, Martin Vasquez. Buba. Yeah and how he was doing something similar and once he was able to do that he was able to yeah throw in some drop shots um uh did you know did you guys know uh, that buba and georgie they competed against each other for i think 10 years right. in south america the the south america championship final uh, i think during 10 years during seven years was rosario from argentina against sojipa mm -hmm. from brazil and yeah. uh and rosario has never won Oh really? Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but they were always, always close to win. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one day, uh, I, I, I told Buba after losing a final against him, I thought Buba, I think we need uh, psychologists because <laughs> we just we always lose at the final. And yeah. then he said, uh, Matheus, I've I've lost <laughs> for ten years against George. Don't say that. <laughs> and then it, it was uh, one month before the uh, World Tour final in Germany. Mm. And then uh, he said, you see, we, you guys will arrive in Europe and no one will know you. And you, mm. you do that. You will win. 
and then we won. And then I said to him, "Hey, boo, that that worked. No one, no, nobody knew us." <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right though. Like I I think I think there was that period there, yeah, probably five or six years ago when when Switzerland probably had their their peak with um faster. And, and I just think they mentally they mentally couldn't beat Germany. I think they were better than Germany, and I they mentally just could not get across the line because they just I think they they didn't believe that they could beat them you know like there were so many times in those those big finals yeah and I said that there's the 2017 world games and there was another European championships where they had Fausto they had um Lucas Lesser and Christian Lesser and uh Ule Rebsemann where they they had this amazing team but they and they would be they'd be ahead in games that you know three they'd win the first three sets and lose the last four and it was just they just couldn't it's it's such a mental thing you mentioned before when in your highlights like you have something that very few people in fistball have is you've legitimately beaten Patrick Thomas <laughs> not many people can say that because he's he's so good and every team he plays on whether it be Fungstadt or Germany. When you're going up against him, you're like, he's the best player in the world or the best attacker in the world. We can't beat them. And it's like, you can lose a game before you even start it, I think, mentally. Whereas like, yeah, and we, we watched that game, the the German Championships last year with um with Unterhauchstedt, where they so nearly, so nearly won against Wungstadt. And it was just like, mm. oh, that it was just, yeah, that, you know, it was, it was just that little bit of belief at the end that we can win this. And, you know, maybe it's different, but the, the mental side of it is huge. Of course, of course, the game is mental. This game is totally mental. I will tell you guys something that I've never told anyone. Exclusive. Uh, <laughs> after losing the semi-final against Austria, we and the Austria team, we had the same, how can I say that? We had the same bathroom, I don't know, mm -hmm. or where people take showers. Yeah, changing rooms. Yep. Gian, the Austrian striker, the Austrian spiker, mm -hmm. he's, he's Brazilian yeah. and Austrian. Mm -hmm. So he can speak very good Portuguese. And he told me, okay, now we have one against the humans. Tomorrow we are playing against the superhumans. <laughs> I mean, the game is totally mental. Uh, yeah. He has thought before playing the final that it was impossible to, to win against Germany. Not impossible, but amazingly difficult. Yeah. And of course, I respect Patrick and I agree. Patrick is the best player of the world. But we need to keep in mind that he isn't unbeatable. Hmm. When we uh, beat Patrick, I think that was our view too. We kept in mind that he wasn't unbeatable. Hmm. And we played our game and let's see if we can beat him mm -hmm. with our game. Hmm. And if it's suffered, then okay. But if it's insufficient, then okay too. But uh, we have always thought that it wasn't impossible to beat Patrick. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I mean, I guess that, that sort of gets back to, you, you mentioned earlier, Matthias, that uh, this this game in the, the early 2000s, it's probably the greatest era of fistball in that it, it's the era that I, that I I came up with yesterday that I'm calling the the PSPT era, which is the post Schautzek pre Thomas era of fistball, <laughs> where Germany like post what post Schautzek, you know uh, Dirk Schautzek, who was that the yeah uh, Dirk yeah. Schautzek, the sort of the the, the post Schautzek pre Patrick Thomas era, where the four top nations, you know. Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Brazil, they could all beat each other. And I, like, again, you have to kind of get onto the German Wikipedia page to actually find the detailed results of these world championships and European championships and world games. But there's times in this era where, you know, Germany finished out of the group stage, finished fourth. You know, they lost, they lost to 
Brazil, Austria and Switzerland in the group stage. And yeah, maybe they made a final and won it, but you know, they weren't dominant. They were just, everyone could beat each other. And you didn't know going into any game of, of those four big teams who was who was going to win, which hasn't been the case. You know, we've started playing fistball as just as Patrick Thomas and Germany took over again, and no one's really got close to them in our time, except for that World Games final when, when Patrick was injured. And, and yeah, you look at the, the earlier World Championships through the 70s and 80s when you had guys yeah, like Dirk Schautzek and Martin Becker and, and these guys were sort of dominant. This was that, that window of about six years probably when on any given day anyone could win it out of Germany, Austria, Switzerland, or Brazil. And it's, yeah, like that's the dream for any elite sporting competition that you've got four teams that are so good then anyone can win. And yeah, it must have been a, a great time. I would say five. Oh, with Argentina? Yeah, Argentina, yeah. It's because they, they, they have beaten in two, two, 2011. They, they beat Switzerland, which was the, I mean, people said before the before the World Championship that maybe Switzerland win the World Championship this year. And Argentina beat Switzerland in, in the quarterfinals and Argentina almost almost beat the Austrian, the Austrians. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, we, we reviewed that semi-final, the, the Argentina- That's a great game. The Austria semi-final with, yeah, with, with Martin Vasquez. Yeah, that, that was, I guess, uh. yeah, that was Argentina's absolute best when yeah he Buba Vasquez was at his absolute peak when yeah there, there was legitimately five teams at that point yeah that, that could have um, yeah. mm. you can you can you can tell him I'm his fan <laughs> Martin Vasquez is he's, he's he, I, I'm his fan he's uh, <laughs> he's amazing <laughs> yeah he's great yeah um any other observations general observations from the game let me see I have made a list of observations <laughs> yes so have I, and I'm going to pick and choose because I can't just read them all out. I'll make some quick comments. Obviously, we got Jean Andrioli, a young, fresh-faced Jean, making a, making an appearance there. I also noted uh, Fistel's uh, Clemens Kronsteiner, a bit of showboating early on, <laughs> which is uh, it is interesting to watch the two teams, particularly early on, trying to get in each other's heads. You know, there's one where um, where Shui does a like a running drop shot and then just like hangs out on the other side of the field, just like watching the ball and like knowing that he, the player is not, probably not going to be able to get to it, but he's not moving. He's like a meter past the net. And it's almost like an intimidation tactic, you know, like he's basically telling the player, you're not going to get to this ball. And of course, Martin Weiss is smiling throughout the entire game. <laughs> it's like nothing bothers him. It's almost like he's trying to get in their heads as well. It's great. Yeah. As we said, the, the game is, is a mental thing. Yeah. yeah. And he knows that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually know that Shuri was pretty, pretty calm at the start. There was a few errors and he was just kind of putting his hand up and going, nope, don't worry about it. It's all fine. But then as the game goes on, his demeanor definitely changes, especially as uh, Brazil starts to get a run on. He uh, starts sticking it to the Austrian attackers. And I love some of those replays where it shows him, it like just focuses on the two attackers and it shows him just yelling something, I'm guessing in Portuguese or German, to the uh, to the Austrian players. And the Austrian players turning around and just like making eye contact. So they're just basically yelling directly at each other. It's not like a general yell to the other team. It's very personal. Um, I would love to know what they're saying in those moments. You probably know. <laughs> yeah, I think I shouldn't translate that. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I could definitely understand that. I mean, they are always provoking mm. and because they know the game is mental. Yep. And this rivalry between Martin and George, it, it wasn't born at the board game. It was a, a old thing. 
And I think it was uh, a good thing for football because they respected each other. Yeah. I mean, out of the field. But on the field, there, there was a war. Mm. <laughs> and, but they respected each other and at the same time provoked each other. <laughs> and Martin has, uh, has already played in Brazil for a season and they knew each other so well. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a moment where Martin, right near the end of the game, and annoyingly the video cuts right as it's happening. There's a moment where there's a, I think, a, I don't know if it's Clemens, maybe hits it out of bounds. And, you know, the Brazilians are all ex excited and he's celebrating. And I think it's in the fifth set. And then Martin runs under the net and there's a bit of a confrontation. But it cuts right at that moment. I, wouldn't, I wanted to know what was going to happen or what had just happened. But it seemed very heated at that moment. Do you have any idea what happened there? Yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the fifth set, yes. I think. Yes, that, mm. that was, yeah. it was 17 Austria and 16 Brazil. Yes. Uh, I think yes. that was at this moment of the game. Mm, yeah. And Clement's attack in Wachi, George yep. Eduardo Silva, and the ball accidentally hits Quachi's knee. Ah, uh, oh, uh, right. Accidentally, <laughs> <laughs> and he he didn't say uh, he didn't say he didn't put his hand up and say oh, I hit my knee. No, he didn't say nothing because it was the one of the last points and maybe one of the most important points of his life, and so he didn't gave up. And then uh, Brazilian won the point, mm. and uh, Martin came, and then, <laughs> and, mm. and then Gerson, our our momentary uh, coach in Brazil, he hold Martin. <laughs> I don't know what would happen, mm. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. There are a couple of controversial calls in the game that we didn't totally understand. There was one where it looked like the referee called a double bounce and then changed his mind, which was actually an in the fifth set and a really important moment. Cause then I think Austria won the replayed point, which was, which put them up 11, nine. Yeah. And then there was another one where after a timeout, a point was taken away from Brazil, right Mal? There was a, yeah, it, it's one of those ones where it's without being able to understand what's being said, it's, it's hard to understand, but basically Brazil lost a point and took a timeout. And then during the time, but then all of a sudden there's this, some really heated discussion and then it goes back and just as about, uh, Shuey's about to serve, all of a sudden the score sort of changes and it looks like they've been penalized a point, but I don't know. I'm not, not sure what, what that was for. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot happening in this game. There's a, there's a lot of noise. And then, and then particularly, I, I think in the fifth set, there's a lot of tensions, simmering tensions throughout the game, and in the fifth set, it all sort of spills over, and it actually gets it gets quite bad. There's there's a situation where <laughs> a bit nasty, and this I, I don't know, Matthias. This this maybe I know South America and Europe are big. Football is sort of the main sport, and players remonstrating with referees is quite normal, I guess. But in Australia, it's not. In Australia, it's, it's understood from a very young age that you do not touch or disrespect umpires in any way. It's it's just, it's a thing taught to children. There's a point that, yeah, where there's, it's, it's late in the fifth set and it's all happening. Gerson Suffert literally, who's the captain of Brazil, he shoves the umpire. Now, 
<laughs> Even in 2005, if that's in Australia in 2005, not only is he immediately red carded from the game, he's banned for many for, for like years. That's like a that's that's probably a four year ban from competitive playing in your sport. And and at the same time, George Shu is he's grabbing the assistant referee and shaking him, and it's just like <laughs> wow, like. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I remember watching this thing and oh yeah but this is a long long time ago times have changed and I'm like actually it's not it's not that long ago you know like it feels like a long time ago because we weren't playing fistball in Australia in 2005 but I'm thinking in 2005 I was an adult humanoid and I'm like <laughs> we could not do those sort of things in Australian sport in 2005 it's crazy you guys uh, do you remember when I said that a player uh, for a player consider himself a complete player should play in Brazil mm. in Europe and in Australia, uh, I think we can <laughs> we can say the same to the referees. For a referee to consider himself a complete referee, mm. he needs to to be an empire in in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's um, that's uh, a, an influence that came from soccer, yeah. and it's not a Brazilian aspect. It's the same in Argentina, and yeah. Okay. In fairness to the referee, he, he takes it like a champ. <laughs> yeah. I say, I did have a note that the referee, he keeps his cool. when he, And he's not a big guy. Like, they're standing over him. Like, it's, a, it's an intimidation technique, you know. They're yeah. all sort of screaming. And he just he just cops it. And he's just like, no, respect to the referee. He's He, he does his thing. But, I mean, obviously, there's some bad calls, uh, umpiring decisions in this game. But, yeah. It's pretty crazy mm. what happens in that last set. Like it's it's pretty full on. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I need to admit that it's pretty normal in South America. <laughs> and, I, and I'm really sorry to to, to say that, but uh, yeah, it's pretty normal yeah. in South America. <laughs> I mean, we we hinted at it earlier. Like it does not seem to be a game involving Brazil at a high level where there is not. A moment where a controversial decision goes against Brazil and then there's like five minutes of yelling at the referee, all the Brazilian players around the referee just kind of giving him a peace of mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I want to say one more thing about this game. Mm -hmm. We need to keep in mind that Brazil has one spiker and one very young spiker uh, waiting to play. I mean, at the, how do you guys say, at the bank? On the bench, yeah. At the bench. Uh, and Austria has three different pikers which are playing and serving throughout the game and being being changed. Yeah. So uh, I would say now my my vote. Who is the best player of this game? The best player of this game wasn't playing. The best player of this game is Ernst Amthofer, the Austrian coach. Ah, right. Yes. Because uh, he changes it. Perfectly. Yeah. And uh, when Brazil is playing well and is in front, uh, George is playing. And we can't say that to Austria. Austria is changing all the time the three spikers. Uh -huh. yeah. And at the end of the game, we need to be aware that George is already tired because he has played all the game. Yeah. Mm. Almost all the game. Yeah. Uh, whereas Martin and Clements and Dietmar, they have played, uh, each one has played, I, I think. One set and a half or two sets, but Georgi has played five sets. Yeah, and he was doing a lot of the serving early on as well. Like he was. Yeah, he basically does ninety percent of the the serving and attacking for Brazil. Like I think he I think he went off 
for maybe a few points late in the first set when Austria got mm. sort of on top and it was like, we're not going to win this set. And he, they rested him and brought out um, a Chinzi Rioli. And then early in the fifth set, well, it was sort of a bit of a talking point. It was like that Austria won the first two points and then they took Georgie off and brought Andrioli on. But it was only for like three or four points maybe mm. at the most and then and then he came back on. So, yeah, he basically pa- played, uh, I don't know, out of, say, 100 and 200 points roughly, or give, maybe a bit less than that, 180 points in the game, he was probably out there for 170 of them. Whereas, yeah, you're right, the, the Austrians managed their, their three strikers really well. And I guess that was Jean Andrioli, who, who then moved over to Austria and to live and then became part of the Austrian team. He became that fourth really strong attacker that took Austria through that next period where not only did they have Deep Martin, Barton Weiss and Clemens Gonsai, Jean Andrioli become the, the fourth attacking option for them and mm. really drove Austria. Yeah, having four really great attackers is, is so so lucky. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Brazil could have used a Jean better at this final. Because yeah. uh, I don't know how, how were the trainings uh, before the tournament, but I think that maybe for some moments Jean should have played with Georgie uh, at the front positions, mm-hmm. Jean at the right front position, uh, just serving to give mm-hmm. Georgie a time. And Brazil didn't make that. Uh, and like we said, Georgie needed to play almost out again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- I had two other observations I just wanted to quickly throw out there. Um, they both involve cameras. We'll go with the more humorous one to start with. Uh, the, between the first and the second set, the cameraman from the World Games is, is a little bit obsessed with the cheerleaders. He's uh, <laughs> bordering on creepy. Uh, he, he, the camera gets right in and is like looking the cheerleaders up and down and just kind of loitering. It kind of, I kind of watching the video. I felt like one of those one of those creepy old guys at a, in a nightclub, just kind of <laughs> leering at the girls on the dance floor. It felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, the other camera moment was um, when I think it might even be in the fifth set where what's his name Fiala takes out a cameraman oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to get to a ball. And uh, showing that showing that from the other angle where he like yeah he hits it and then he like falls over and the camera just collapses underneath him and everything. It's uh, <laughs> did he keep the ball in play? I can't even remember. He did. Yeah, he kept it in. They ended up losing the point, but not until the next. Like it, it went across the net a couple of times, and then Australian, I think, ended up winning the point. But um, yeah, 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 that was it was pretty epic. <laughs> and there was another moment where one of the Austrian players almost took out a camera, and it was like pretty soon afterwards. Yeah, um, Stefan Eisiedler, the the right defensive player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's almost like well, I wonder if they started putting the barriers up after that. You know, the um, I don't you call them folding board things on the edge just just to keep the cameras behind that but uh yeah it was a bit dicey there that expensive uh, camera equipment <laughs> i guess those those big heavy cameras they they were right on the edge of the runoff zone though like so yeah you know well i guess what is it, six meters i think off the side of the field and that and the big cameras were, were right on on the limit so if the ball did go out just to the side of the field the yeah, the, the cameras were right there, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, I had a, I, I had two other things that I, I'll be remiss if I didn't mention. Yep, um, there was two epic falcons in this game. Uh, <laughs> Matthias, you, you probably don't know what a falcon is, but it started out with rugby in Australia, but it's become a normal part of of all Australian sports. If you get hit in the face with a ball. In, in any kind of sport, you know, where you, you know, you're trying to catch a ball or whatever and you miss it and it hits you in the face or hits you in the head, it's, we call that a falcon. <laughs> and there was two 
amazing Falcons in this game. The first one was as the second last point of set number two, as when uh, Marcus Fells from Austria was sprinting up to try and get a, a drop shot, and he dives like full length with both arms out, but doesn't get there, and then the ball bounces and smacks him right in the face, which is a good one. <laughs> and then the second one um, is in is in the third set. It's at four eight in the third set. And we have a thing we call it in Australia, the pneumatic fist. You know when, if you're diving for a ball and you don't think you can get under it, so you, like, punch down on top of the ball to keep it alive? And Brazil, the Brazil does that, and he punches down on the ball and punches it right into Gerson Sivet's face. And you can see him, like, actually grab his face as the ball hits him. And I was like, wow, that was one of the best Falcons I've ever seen. <laughs> right in the mush. It was, um, it was good, so... We have a, a translation for that in Portuguese. We we call that medalhaço. Yeah, it comes from medal. Okay, medalhaço. Yeah, it, it's something like it's a medal that you take uh, with you. Ah, uh, <laughs> like a badge of honor, sort of. Because thing. The, the marks will stay there, yeah, yes, like a medal. <laughs> a totally different translation, but I guess not that I know much German. But the German word I would use would be Schadenfreude, whereas like laughing at someone else's misfortune when someone else cops a ball in the face. I'm like, oh, I love that. That's so good when you just see someone like really cop one. Yeah, I had to, I had to mention those too because I, I re rewound and replayed them so many times just watching him cop it in the face. Yeah, in Germany, in Germany they would say they have eaten the ball. Yeah, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's the way they say it, uh, in German. Yeah, had them Did you have any more, Mal, or do you want to move on to the vote? Uh, oh, man, I wrote so much down. I did have one other note. We, we've mentioned him already, but um, I was very surprised at how good um, the bad guy from the Da Vinci Code movies was at Fistball. Um, I don't know if you've had the Da Vinci Code movies in the early... Two- I think it was about the same time, early 2000s. Stefan Einselder, is it? Einselder, he's got the, the blonde hair and he looks like the, the albino bad guy from the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he's really good. <laughs> he's one of my best friends. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, please pass it on for us. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will tell him that. <laughs> So that he can listen to our podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We need, we need all the listeners we can get. <laughs> Fist. Boy. All right. Uh, yeah, let's get to the votes. So, I don't know. Mal, do you want to pick on you? Do you want to start with your one voter? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go. And I'll caveat with that. I, I did mention before that the, the fifth set when tensions spill over and it actually gets heated I. I had my original votes that I'd given my my three players to, and I and I changed them because I um I couldn't give a vote to Gerson Sufford, who originally was my one vote because I, fully shoving a referee in a game is unacceptable in in my vote. I just I couldn't do it. I was like, nah, sorry, mate, you should have got red carded at that point. And then and then actually, you talked about that one where it cuts off. He he shoved Martin Vice when he ran across the net too. So he probably should have got red carded twice in that game. Um, so I, so I, I booted Gerson Sufford out of my votes, uh, of my one vote, and I gave it to Stefan Einsiedler, the, the Da Vinci Code albino bad guy who got time out from his 
filming schedule to play in this game of that movie and um he was rock solid uh, in defense for austria he made some amazing shots and he just he just seemed to pop up all throughout the game and, and he, he was really good so um yeah one one vote to to stefan ein siedler nice uh matthias matthias what about you okay uh as i said if i had to vote in a player, I wouldn't vote in a player. I would I would vote in Ernst Amhofer. But I think I, I should I should vote in a, in a player because uh, uh, this situation is an under rose. Yeah. So I would give my first vote to Jorge Eduardo Sufer Quachi. Oh, yeah. uh, he won't play uh, the setter, right? great part of the game. Yes, he's a, he's the Middle the player. second setter yeah. of Brazil. No, no, no. He he was on the bench, oh. and he 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 came in at, at the last part of the fi- fifth set. Okay. When 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 Austria was winning with uh, I don't know maybe sixteen to tw- to twelve, mm-hmm. the game was lost. He came in, and Brazilian reborn. Brazilian mm. just came again and made uh, four points in a row. And I think if had Brazilian won this game, he would be the Brazilian hero mm. because Brazil was losing; it was already lost. Yeah. And he he came into the game and changed it. So my first vote uh, goes to to him. Okay. Yeah. Um, we talked about fistball families a lot of times, and the the Sufert family, obviously, is a, is a very big part of the Brazilian fistball landscape. There's three. Sufferts that play in this game. There's uh, Georgi, uh, Paolo, and uh, Gerson. I'm not sure if they're all uh, brothers or cousins or whatever, but I think I was trying to sort of figure the the family tree out. So Gerson Sufferts. Now he's the father of Thomas. of Thomas Sufferts. Yeah, who's now who currently plays in it, and, and Bianca who plays in the, the in the national. And then Georgi is the father of uh, is it Sabina. Sabine? Jorge uh, Esquachi is the father of Sabine. Yeah. Uh, and it is Eduardo. She has a brother that also plays, maybe not on the national team, but I think plays yes. in, in Brazil. So it's, yes. That's, yeah, it's, it's obviously a very a strong fistball family, uh, right, Royal family right through Brazil. Yeah. Yes, they, they are all from Sojipa, Porto Alegre. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are definitely to do with the, the Brazilian fistball history. Uh, they are already in the third generation, I would say, mm. because the father of Jorge, I, I, I will say Quachi, uh, because the father of Quachi and Gerson uh, played. And most of the things that I say today about uh, Brazilian uh, fistball history, I knew from, from their father. Yeah, because okay. he, was playing, he was playing in 1940, 1950. Okay. Uh, but they are definitely very important for Brazilian history and for the for Brazilian fistball history and for the Brazilian fistball. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll get on to my vote. So I, I got to throw out a disclaimer here. So when I was watching it last night, it was very late and I, I had had a glass of, of whiskey, um, probably a bit larger than I thought it was going to be. So I was doing votes, you know, for the first three sets. And then I just, I got a little bit too caught up in the game and I uh, just started watching it without really being very analytical. So my my one vote, I know my top two votes, but my one vote is an absolute cop-out, but it's going to be just desperation team defense. That's my one vote <laughs> because there are so many points in this game where it looked done 
and just some incredible save from someone. Like my favorite point of the game, uh, which I sent to Mal, I know, like a couple of months back when we first watched this, it's that when it's 8-6 in the first set and, you know, there's a, there's a tough defensive save from Brazil at the back and then there's a desperation save from the other corner just to keep the ball in play and it bounces near the net and Shuri runs over there and hits it on as the ball's coming up and just nails it right across the, the field and they win the point from that where it looked like the point was over, you know? And there was just so many moments like that in the game where, particularly in that last set, I mean, that's pretty standard for a last set when it gets super desperate, but it just made the game so much more exciting because you never knew when the point was over. And so, yeah, that was my cop-out answer because I couldn't pick an individual defender. I mean, I think I gave votes to to Coleman, Einseidler, uh, the Suffolk guys, Fiala, Dietmar Weiss, uh, our friend from Duke University, Christian Leitner. Yeah. I gave him a vote. But, uh, <laughs> getting, he got a vote in our Argentina um, wrap-up game as well. But yeah, team defense for me. was the Desperation team defense was my one vote. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. And like I said, because of video quality and me just not paying enough attention to who was playing where, I, I did find it hard to sort of separate which defenders were playing at, at which time and who did which great defensive shot. But yeah, like it was... I think nearly everyone who played through this game at, at some point made some amazing shots, and it was like, yeah, I couldn't pick a, a play, person who played badly. Everyone did did some great stuff, and yeah, so I think yes, yeah, so I think I sort of probably at nearly at random chose Stefan Einsiedler for my one vote because he stands out with his with his white hair. He's easy to easy to pick. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, my two votes again was actually the guy that I probably gave the most votes through through the game, but I, I relegated him to number two. Uh, simply because he, yeah, when when tensions were all over and he started shaking a white-haired man on the sidelines, I was like, I can't give this guy my three votes. Um, was uh, was was uh, was Georgie Shu? Uh, I gave my two votes. I, I thought he was probably you know, he was he was out there the whole time and he you know so nearly dragged Brazil to the victory, but ultimately they you know fell fell just short. Mm. And yeah, he, he was amazing. Like some of the some of the shots that he hit. And yeah, there was there was another one like the point you mentioned before me. There was another one. I think it was in the final set where sort of uh, Austria was scrambling and and Dietmar Weiss sort of was the balls in it and he tried to sort of play one of those little sort of a dink shot, just lob it over the net, and George just saw it coming and just took it out of the air and just creamed it to the back line like as it yeah it was like a yeah. just a one hit like a volley smash and just was like i'm not having any of that and yeah <laughs> he, he was amazing like i thought he was probably the best player but i only gave him two votes just because i'm not a fan of shaking <laughs> uh, shaking volunteer match referees just doesn't do it for me so i so i, I relegated him just really standing up for the refs today mate. yeah i am well i've done i've done the referee course and i don't want to be i don't want to be shook by a, a blue goateed man on the sideline so I, I relegated him to my two votes um was yeah george Shu. okay okay my two votes goes to yeah, I was thinking if I uh, was about to change that, but I, I won't, I won't. Uh, my two votes go to Martin Weiss. And why? Because he's the main striker of the Austrian team. Mm. Clements and Dietmar are being changed to spare him. And at the end of the game, he will be the one which will lead Austria to the victory. And afterwards, I will, I will explain why not the the three votes to him, but he's the main 
uh, responsible for leading Austria to, to a victory. That's my opinion. Nice. Uh, my two votes is uh, similar to Mao's. So, Georgi Shush. He was, he was awesome. He was uh, enigmatic. He had a lot on his shoulders because he was, like you said, the main attacker for the whole game, pretty much. And, um, yeah, you could see him tiring, but, geez, the energy that he, he was still playing with at the end was pretty impressive. And he was very opportunistic and very creative. And um, he's, I, I love watching him play. He's very exciting to, to watch. He's, uh, he's a character. And I think that he's the one uh, who reached the, the highest peak mm. in the game. Uh, you know, he will, I, I mean, in the first set, and especially in the fifth set, he will be playing football in an uh, extraordinary level. Mm, yeah. uh, that's why I think, uh, I, I mean, the other players, yes, they, they, they reach a, a high level, but he reached the highest level. Yeah. So he deserves yep. it. Yeah. Is he sort of, is he sort of the, like, we don't have that much communication with the South Americans where we talk a lot with the, the Germans and the Austrians. For some, and yeah. There's those great names of, of German football, your, your Dirk Schautzek and Martin Becker, Udo Mele and Patrick Thomas, Dino Thomas. Is, is George Shue, is he the guy in South America that's kind of considered the GOAT, if you will, you know, the greatest ever? Because I guess at the period when Brazil was, was winning their world championships, he was, he was the guy. So is he sort of the, the one for you guys? Definitely, definitely. He's the greatest name of our, our history, yes, of Brazilian football history. Definitely. Uh, I think that Georgi has shown us different way. And I say that he has shown us because he's still showing, uh, showing us how, how to play that. But he has shown us how to play, how to strike and how to attack differently. You don't need to be that mm. powerful striker. Yeah. Because as you can see, he isn't a, a guy like Patrick Thomas with two meters and a giant. Mm. He will play with skillful plays and with very technical plays, and that's why he's he's considered the best the best player of our of our history in Brazil. Definitely, definitely, and that's why I admire and I like Buba's style mm. of playing because they are very similar. And I like this I like this type of, of player. They play mainly with. Uh, do you guys say? Uh, Snapshot, snapshot. Uh, with in the three meters, yeah. Drop shots, drop shots. Drop shots, drop shots, drop shots. But I, I like this way of playing. I mean, and Martin Vasquez and Georgie, they, they show, uh, they have shown us mm. uh, that we can play this way. We, we can definitely play this way. We can play without needing strong, just with mind, definitely. He's a, a legend because of the. So is he, he's still pretty heavily involved then. Because I know he's doing a lot. Seems to be doing a lot of beach tennis these days. But he. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, he's he's also the number one guy of Brazilian beach tennis apparently. <laughs> <which>. <laughs> he, he's one of a kind. Yes, he 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 can play any sport. Uh, he can play all the sports, mm. and he was very very involved in our preparation to 2019 World Championship. Mm. He trained with us. Oh, nice. uh, so, hints we can we can assume that he's still very involved in football. That's great. But now with the pandemic, he uh, we aren't playing anymore. But uh, once we we are allowed to play again, he will definitely will be involved again. Cool. All right. I guess three voters then 
so I guess I think we already know who everyone's three votes are purely by process of elimination, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> Malcolm, who's your uh, your three voter? Um, yeah, well, yeah, as you said, it's, it's process of elimination. But um, I gave my three votes to Martin Weiss. As I said, I, I think you mentioned it before, Matthias, that Austria's team offense was probably a, was a big deal. They they used all three of their their strikers so well. But when Martin Weiss was out there, they look different. You know, he he has the ability to just finish a point at any, at any time that probably Dietmar and Clemens don't quite have. You know, and I don't know, it, it's something you don't really see it very much anymore. The proper old school running jump serve, hmm. where he like starts his run up from like nearly at the baseline <laughs> and just steams in and and just hits the ball because he's not a, he's not a big guy, but he hits the ball so low and flat and hard. It's yeah, it's it's impressive watch and I love watching his his games and yeah i felt like when, when the game was on the line and he was out there he just yeah he, he had so much of an impact so um yeah i and martin was my three votes okay my three votes it isn't actually uh related to the to the highest level a player reached in this game oh. but it's related with the player with which i've uh, mostly learned in this game especially in this game because if i should give a three votes to a player to the best player of the game, to the player which have reached the the highest level, it should be to Martin Weiss. But in this game, I've learned that a player doesn't need to throw uh, himself to the floor to defend the balls. He can stand in his feet and defend all the difficult balls. And Gerson, I thought, he, he showed us that if we watch the game again, we can realize that he hasn't thrown uh, himself to the field to defend the balls. He has always defended it quite calmly and frankly. And I think that uh, Sachstetter, the German midfield, he he makes the same. He he has never thrown himself in the on the grass. And yeah. when he can, he defends the ball uh, at the simplest uh, manner he can. He can. And that that was the the biggest. Uh, learning that I got from this game. I mean, he's making nothing spectacular, but he's always defending the balls and bringing it to the to the three meter space. And Brazil is always setting it in a good position because of his defense. That was sim- that was simpler, but uh, and not a spectacular, yeah. but effective. Nice. Um, yeah, I'll get to my my three votes is the same as Mao's, Martin Weiss, the uh, smiling assassin. I don't think I can add too much more to that, but he was very clutch, particularly late the game when he came back on, and yeah, he just he just seemed able to just break the game open um, with some of those those hits that you're talking about, where he hits him at the setter but slightly off. It, it seems like he can hit it at the setter and then curve it away into the gap like i love those shots from behind the field where they show how much curve he puts on those smashes you know they're kind of subtle at the start but then they really kind of fade away you can see the two brazilian defenders kind of not totally sure who's going to get to it first so he was kind of super important in the game so i gave him my three votes but it's interesting because it's it's similar to actually when we reviewed the game that you're in the 2019 one is that i actually gave my three votes to gabby heck because i felt that he reached a higher peak than uh carl did it's just that at the end austria won but i thought that when gabby was at his peak he was better than carl was so that's why i gave him my votes it's kind of interesting that you just said that about a 
about Shuri and Martin Weiss, but yeah, um, this time I'm giving it to Martin Weiss. I think I think I, I also just like his demeanor on the field. I think it's just it adds an element to the game to just see him kind of just giving a, a cheeky smile and kind of almost like a winking at the opposition. You know, it's just kind of really rubbing it in. Uh, I just love that. It's great. It's more <laughs> of a. It's sort of a more of a restrained aggression sort of thing. Like it, yeah. The South Americans, you know, they everything's they wear their heart on their sleeve. Everything's very emotional, and it's yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah and you see like George Shue will hit a winner, and he'll be he'll be shouting, you know, across fitter, and mm-hmm. and then Martin Weiss will hit a winner on the next point, and he'll just kind of give a little look across and be like, yeah, I can hit winners too, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> he's just he's stone cold killer yeah. kind of. I, I like his. I very much. I like his mentality. You mentioned it before Matthias it's, it's two very different styles not only in playing style but the way that the teams carry themselves on the field is very different but mm. it, it's it's so good to watch the theater of these 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 great games is, yeah there's there's a few of them out there that are, that are so good to worth watching it they're great to watch <laughs> yeah sure it's very interesting to watch <laughs> <laughs> well I think when we're watching uh particularly in that game where you're playing against uh Austria I remember just watching that live, just going, oh, if I could just get like 25% of your energy on the field, I think I would just be like buzzing. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I think you, you hit a winner and then you like you drop to your knees and you did like a chainsaw for like five <laughs> seconds and then you get up and you sprint around the field. I'm like, oh my God, if I did that, I would be just like, um, stop me off. I'm exhausted. <laughs> but you just hop straight back up again. I just, I, I, the energy in the Brazil games is just so fantastic. And as a man approaching 40, uh, I'm just envious of that. <laughs> the energy that you guys can can put out there it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know uh, I think it's a manner to to become less nervous mm. because you put all this energy out of your body <laughs> yeah. and you you start to adapt to the to the atmosphere of the game yeah and th- that's not just uh, something to make for a yelling and to commemorate the points, but it's into it's something made that I that I practice <laughs> and that I and that I'm due to to become less nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Fist. Boy. Let's get on to our shoutouts. Uh, who wants to who wants to start? Would you like to start, Mateus? Okay, I can start. A um, big shout out to my Austrian friends. From Chris Kirshen. I wasn't able to meet him this this year and also in the last year. So it has been quite painful uh. not seeing my, my Austrian buddies. And a special shout out to Teresa, my Austrian friend from Chris Kirshen, yep. which is a lovely girl. And I think that's it. Nice. Now, do you have any? I don't know if we've done a Benny Giles shout out this this podcast have we oh no we haven't we can't can't miss uh, my cousin benny so i'll give a shout out to benny Throw one in. and uh, i'll give a, a sneaky shout out to i think i mentioned to the st brief this morning Millie, but at the end of that game the there's an interview with with martin vice and it's in english and his english is actually pretty good i didn't know that he that he spoke english well so uh, and i was like oh i want to get him on our podcast at some point i'd really love to to pick his brains about this great period of fistball. So I'm going to give a shout out to anyone who's, you know, if you're friends with Martin Weiss, 
hit him up and tell him we want him to come and put the pressure on him to come on our podcast because <laughs> I, I would love to get him on here at some stage and and hear his opinion on this that that great period of fistball and and even continue. I think he's the he's the Austrian uh, coach at the moment of the of the current team and mm. um, yeah, I, I think it'd be great. So that's sort of a generic. That's a good one. Random shout out to to <laughs> everyone in Austria, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, I have two shout outs, both Brazilian focused. A shout out to Matthias Lamil. I think I'm saying saying that right. Yeah. So I did actually reach out to him earlier to ask for someone good to get on the podcast, and he also recommended you. Obviously, you guys are good mates. I'll tell a very quick story. I met him in 2015 at the Men's World Champs. So the story is that all the Australian team went over early and I left a little bit later because I was trying to minimize the amount of time I was leaving my partner with our new child. Uh, so I flew over by myself and I'm terrible. I can't sleep on planes, right? So I, I caught this, uh, I guess it was what, like a 16 hour flight or something to, to Chile and then another flight out to Cordoba and then, you know, the bus. So when I was in uh, Chile, um, there was a bit of a layover there. So I hadn't slept at all on the way to Chile. I had a layover, didn't sleep, caught this flight to Cordoba, didn't sleep. And then, so I, I don't know, it was probably like 24 hours of not sleeping. And then uh, we were in the airport and we were waiting to get our bus to Villa, what is it, VGB, I just call it. Um, <laughs> and so there's a guy there who's going to drive us there. And he's like, well, we're, we're going to go in a sec, but you're going to have to wait because there's a couple of Brazilian guys coming uh, they just finished up work and they we're all going to go together. I was like, okay. So it's like me and it was Ron Jesswin and his wife. And we waited and we waited. And then eventually, uh, Mateus turned up um, and Francisco Schmidt as well, Chico. And so we all got in this car together, this bus, I guess, which was a, that was sold to us as being a 45-minute drive. I think it was like an hour and a half or two hours. Or so. It took so long. And I was struggling because I hadn't slept in forever. Anyway, we're driving and I'm just kind of in the back, just half dozing off, but staying awake. And uh, Mateus stops the bus driving and goes, oh, we got, we got to get some booze. We got to get some drinks. And so they started going into the town and started doing like laps, trying to find the bottle shop. And then they went in, bought all these bottles and brought them back on the bus. And I'm like, this is the last thing I want to do right now. <laughs> and, and so then... So they got on the bus and they're having their beers. We're having a chat, you know, and he can speak pretty decent English. And um, anyway, we get to we get to our location, to VGB, and um, and the and the bus driver doesn't know where to go. So he he he's like he was driving around the village, and he's like, I don't know where any of these hotels are. And we're like, Oh my god! So you know, I'm like bordering on a mental breakdown at this point, and. He eventually pulls over and he goes over and he asks someone in the street for directions to these these hotels, and he finally gets back in and then he he heads off to the hotels and he takes Ron to his hotel first. And as he's driving to Ron's hotel, I can see my hotel like I recognise it from the pictures, and I'm like, "That's my hotel. That's my hotel." <laughs> he's like, "The guy doesn't understand me. Nobody understands me." And so they keep driving and they drive another fifteen minutes out. <laughs> to drop run off <laughs> and then they come back and he drives past my hotel again and i'm just like turning to mateus i'm like mateus please can you try to speak to this guy in in portuguese even and just see if he can understand that we need to stop the bus because i need to get off because i'm just i'm about to kill someone <laughs> he eventually talked to him and they worked it out and he's like oh okay and he pulled over because he was going to drop mateus back at his the hotel before he dropped me at my hotel so i was like forever thankful 
to Mateus for, for stopping the bus driver so I could actually get off at my hotel. Because what would have been even worse is he probably would have dropped Mateus off and then he would have been circling VGB for like another three hours trying to find my hotel because he couldn't understand me. <laughs> anyway, so that was my uh, introduction to Mateus. And then, uh, and then we swapped jerseys at the end of the tournament. And he's a super nice guy and uh, so I want to do a shout to him. He's a legend. And also another shout out as well to Fernando Aizul. I think that's how you say it. He didn't play in this game, but he was on the list. Uh, Fern- uh, Heige. Fernando Aizel. Heige. Heige. Yeah, Aizel. Heige. Because he, um, I don't know him uh, very well, but he did apply for the, the head coaching job for that Tommy that we ended up giving to Tommy Helber. And I was really keen for him to, to be a part of that as well. And it just seemed like it wasn't really going to work out. He was going to have to move his whole family here. But he was super keen to... So this is just my shout-out. If he ever wants to come back, we'll certainly uh, welcome him into the fold. I think he loves surfing or something. You know, he, he was pretty keen to come out here and just just surf and, and coach fistball. So, you know, the offer's, the offer's still there. So um, Absolutely. That's my shout-out. All right. Um, well, let's sign off. Uh, we're at a neat three hours and 17 minutes by the looks of things, which I'm going to have to cut down <laughs> to under two hours. Might be a two-parter again, Milne, your favourite. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid those, uh, but I'm sure I'm sure we can do it. It's one of those things sometimes, you know, when you you get chatting and you just start talking fistball and you kind of forget that, oh, actually, we're trying to do a succinct podcast here that's only supposed to go for an hour and a half and we've just spent once you get talking fistball and you get passionate about it you just i lose the time and you're like oh wow we've massively yeah. overblown it but i know i don't want to stop either so it's well, who cares yeah if only people were willing to listen to three-hour podcasts about fistball well maybe they are maybe they are maybe we should test test their limits <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time thank you guys <laughs> yeah man. thanks for coming on we obviously we wanted to get you on for a while we wanted to get someone on for brazil but also someone like yourself we're pretty keen to get you on so thanks for taking the time and chatting to us for, for ages you're welcome it was a pleasure i was i was glad to spend this time with you guys it was a nice experience awesome <laughs> And uh, you say that you haven't played fistball until you've played in Europe, South America, and Australia. So I'm not a complete player. No. So maybe the Westside Wombats might uh, put out a, an offer. We, we, <laughs> we very rarely have five players, so we're always looking for someone. I'm always open. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, you might find the level a little bit different, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a learning experience and it's part of becoming the complete footballer. Okay. No, sure. I will <laughs> analyze that. And I heard that there are great surf beaches in Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great ones. I, I think I can, uh, I can join you to surf and to play Facebook. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's let's sign off with, a, with the uh, customary Uru and Fist on. Don't know if you got to the end of the Nick podcast, Mateus, but uh, that's kind of how we finish it off with a bit of a, you say Uru and Fist on, and then that's it. It's all over. So uh, thanks again, mate. And uh, Uru and Fist on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mateus. Cap. Can't wait to see you again in person and uh, and and see you on the when when times are better. It's going to be great. And uh, thank you for coming on. Hooroo, fist on. Hooroo, fist on. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Fist, fist. 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 fist.